Let me invite you to turn in your Bibles tonight to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We introduced this book to you last week as we looked at the first 11 verses. And tonight we'd like to finish the first chapter and look at Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verses 12 through 18. With the Lord's help, I'd like to speak to you for the next few moments about a quest for meaning. The book of Ecclesiastes is really the expression or the relation of events of a man who is looking for real meaning in life. Philosophers for all of the history of mankind have been asking the big questions of life. And many of them have come to the same discouraging conclusions about the meaning of life, just like the writer of Ecclesiastes initially did. For instance, Homer, the famous Greek poet, decided in his philosophy and in his thinking that man's life is meaningless and miserable. His conclusion was that the only thing we really have to look forward to is complete annihilation. Leo Tolstoy, the great author and philosopher from Russia, said this, What is life for? To die? To kill myself at once? No, I am afraid. To wait for death till it comes? I fear that even more than I must live. But what for? And I could not escape from that circle. Bertrand Russell said this, Man's origin, his growth, his hopes and fears, his loves and his beliefs are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. Such hope. The famous Stephen Hawking in a lecture made this statement. If we are just biological clockwork, perhaps there is no meaning to life. Perhaps no meaning at all. In the same lecture, a little while later, after talking about the fact that even our emotions, dreams, and hopes are nothing more than the result of physical mechanisms in the universe, he made this statement. The meaning of life is what you choose it to be. Tonight, we're going to find that the preacher came to much the same conclusion about the meaning of life. In Ecclesiastes chapter 1, direct your attention to verse number 12. He writes, I, the preacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. 
Do you hear the disappointment in his voice? Do you hear, as he phrases it, the vexation of spirit that he experienced as he looked at the world? And remember, he's expressing his view under the sun. So let's consider tonight his quest for meaning. I want you to notice, first of all, the position of this seeker. He describes himself in verse number 12 as the preacher, and then he further tells us that he was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, this statement is significant and gives us the clearest insight into the fact that the human author of this book was none other than Solomon, the son of King David. We know, for instance, that Solomon was the king over Israel. And if you know your Jewish history, you would recognize that there were only three kings who were king over all of Israel, beginning with Saul, and then David, and finally Solomon, before the kingdom was divided under the reign of Rehoboam, Solomon's son. So we believe that this author is most likely Solomon. And as we think about this man, Solomon, and his position, this is perplexing. Because here in these verses, he describes a quest for wisdom. And don't you know that when Solomon became the king over Israel, that he prayed and asked God for wisdom, and God gave him incredible wisdom? But that's not the kind of wisdom that he's speaking about in these verses that was so disappointing. Because something happened in Solomon's life, 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 4, 5, and 6, describe this. If you're curious, you can turn over there. But we know that what happened was, later in Solomon's reign, he moved away from the wisdom of God and the worship of God, and specifically he did that because of the foreign women that he had married, and he married a lot of them. He had several hundred wives and several hundred concubines. And the Bible tells us that these women not only were married to him, but they brought into the the palace and into the kingdom the worship of false gods. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse number 4 says, "...for it came to pass, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned away his heart after other gods." And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord, and went not fully after the Lord, as did David his father. The miserable state that Solomon found himself in must certainly have happened during this time in his life when he turned his back on the wisdom of God and decided instead to try to find meaning in the wisdom of this world. This is very different than the tone that is struck in the book of Proverbs, is it not? When he speaks about wisdom being the principal thing, therefore get wisdom and with all thy getting get understanding, when he told us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that we ought not to despise wisdom and knowledge, a very different tone in Ecclesiastes chapter 1. You'll notice about his search, 
He was a man with quite a position, but we notice that his search was unique because of two things. First of all, he was incredibly wealthy. So by this time in his reign, Solomon was the most wealthy man on the face of the earth. And second of all, because he was very powerful. And therefore, Solomon had access to wisdom, at least worldly wisdom, that few people could match in his generation. It would have been very unusual for someone to travel, to speak with philosophers from other lands, to collect wisdom uh, from other schools of thought and to hear what people believed and thought. Of course, today we're more familiar with that sort of a thing because we have access to the World Wide Web and every opinion and every, uh, every perspective upon the face of the earth can quickly be searched and found. But in Solomon's lifetime, this was quite unique that he had access to these things. And because of this, Solomon went on an incredible search to try to find meaning for life. The sad thing is that what is described in most of the book of Ecclesiastes is that Solomon left behind God's wisdom and pursued after the wisdom of the world only to find that it brought him no satisfaction, none whatsoever. Now, the benefit to us is that we don't have to walk down the same road. We can learn from the lesson of Solomon which is recorded here in Scripture for a good reason, so that we don't have to walk down the same road. So notice his position, but then I want you to notice in this passage, second of all, is his pursuit. And we see his pursuit described here in these verses. He says in verse 13, I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom. The idea being that he was wholehearted in his pursuit. This was not a half-hearted pursuit or just giving himself partially to this task. He really wanted to know the answers and he was determined to find those answers. So he gave his entire heart to this pursuit. As he pursued after the wisdom of the world, he gave his heart completely over to the things of the world. We're going to find in the rest of the book of Ecclesiastes that he gives his heart completely over to pleasure. And he gives his heart completely over to the things and the philosophies of this world. He was seeking for real satisfaction, for real meaning. Like many philosophers, he was trying to decipher the meaning of life. And so he gave his heart to the pursuit of understanding what is life all about. It was not only a wholehearted pursuit, but it was a thorough pursuit. He uses the phrase, which I just read, that he, was, he gave his heart to seek and to search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. The, the intention of the language of this sentence is that he left no stone unturned, that he, he, he missed nothing. He went everywhere that he could. He heard from every voice that he could find. He was searching for the answers, and he made sure that nothing was left out, that he had access to it all. It was a thorough pursuit. Sometimes people say, well, the only reason you're a Christian is because you haven't studied anything else. You've never looked into any of the other schools of thought. You know, if you would just look into those other things, then maybe you would find some of the answers that you're looking for. Well, that's what Solomon did. He went and he looked into everything that he could find. And the answer we'll see in just a moment was quite disappointing to him. It was also a focused 
pursuit, as he says that he had seen all the works that are done under the sun. All the works that are done under the sun, referring to the great exploits of mankind. He experienced everything that he could, that he could put his hands on. He saw all of these works that are being done. This is under the sun. Again, that phrase that's repeated over and over and over again in the book of Ecclesiastes, giving an emphasis to the things that are here on this earth, not the things that have to do with God, not eternal things, but the things that are tangible to man, the things that man can understand. This is what he focused on. He put his focus on the, 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 the uh, things that people could attain to, the knowledge that people could collect, and he focused on man's ability. You may have heard it said before that men have unlimited potential to solve the problems of the world. Well, Solomon tried that. He tried to, to test that out. It was a very thorough pursuit for him, and yet... His conclusion that was wholehearted and thorough and focused and wide, notice that he says there that he had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. That's in, I believe, in verse 16 at the very end. My heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. He experienced it all. He heard all the things that people had to say. He went to the greatest centers of thinking and he communed with those people and he heard their opinions and he digested it. It was a wide pursuit. There's a a statement in... Let me see if I can find it. There's a statement in uh, verse number 17. I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. And this is a literary device that's used sometimes. And what he's saying, we're familiar with this in the English language. We have statements like this, like, um, it was soup to nuts. It, it, it was the whole meal, everything from the very beginning to the very end. Uh, so that's exactly what he's saying. I, I experienced, I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So I, I experienced wisdom on this side, and I experienced madness and folly on this side, just hilarity and, and, and gaiety and laughter and fun, and I experienced everything in between. I experienced it all, and here's his conclusion. It's disappointing. In fact, the words that he uses over and over again are the words vanity, which we pointed out to you last week, means emptiness, worthlessness. And he says that over and over again, all is vanity, verse number 14. He says it repeatedly through the book of Ecclesiastes that everything is vanity, emptiness. How many people do you know who feel as if their life is completely worthless? as if it has no value at all. Now, I understand. Most people, besides Eeyores, most people don't sit around saying things like that. But if you get people to open up and be honest about what they really feel about their life, many people are wrestling with these very issues. They're saying, you know, I've given my life to the pursuit of all of these things, and what has it gained me? 
It's just empty. But he goes beyond that, and he says, not only is it vanity, but he says it is vexation of spirit. In our text, he uses that phrase twice, vexation of spirit. This is referring to the fact that his pursuits, specifically his pursuit after worldly wisdom, was not just worthless, but it actually caused him pain and hurt in his inner man. After he had completed his search, all he had was vexation of spirit. No matter how hard he tried, he could not come up with any worthwhile reason for the works of man. You see, what happens when you decouple man from the Creator and from his wisdom, and you try to figure out man merely in light of man and this world, what you are left with is vanity and vexation of spirit. And that's exactly what Solomon said. Everything is vanity. Everything is worthless. Everything left me hurting. I'm telling you, brethren, tonight... There are people all around you in this world. They live in your neighborhood. They go to the same stores that you go to. They work with you. You rub shoulders with them every single day. And deep inside what they have is pain and vexation of spirit. And if they pause to ask the deep questions of life, they really wonder, what am I doing? Why am I here What is the purpose of all of this? And that's exactly what Solomon was wrestling with. So we see his position and we see his pursuit. But now I want you to notice his pronouncement. And there's two statements that he makes. There are two proverbs that are nestled right in the middle of this passage. One is there in verse number 15... And the other one is in verse number 18. And it's marked into two sections as he's explaining his experience and his pursuit. And then he comes to a conclusion. Then he explains a little bit more about his pursuit and he comes to another conclusion. These two proverbs express his pronouncement. They reveal the findings of Solomon after his comprehensive search for the meaning of life. After he exhausted all of his resources, he looked to all of the the voices that could inform him This was his conclusion. Verse 15, after he saw all the works of man, he said, that which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. You say, what does that mean? Well, quite simply this, there is no straightening out the crooked and perverse ways of man. There's no cleaning him up. What he's describing is the lack of men's works. He went and saw all the things that men have done. And while you could say, well, there are some good things here and there, he came away with this conclusion, there is nothing that is good about man. No amount of education or corrective means will suffice to change men's heart. Is the leper able to change his spots simply by willing it to be so? Of course not. Is a sinner able to will his sin away? Not at all. And Solomon came to the conclusion as he examined the works of men and he saw all the things that were going on in the world around him, there's no straightening out the crooked. 
So much is lacking, he says, that which is wanting cannot be numbered. So much is lacking that you can't even get a tally. Just when you think you've found something worthwhile and and wholesome, you discover that it's actually wanting, that there's lack. Why is this? Well, because of what we know from the scriptures, we would agree wholeheartedly with this sentiment. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. That's exactly the truth. It's all crooked and perverse. It's all lacking. There's something missing, and that something is real righteousness. So Solomon examined it, and he said, it's crooked. You can't make it straight. It's lacking so much that you can't even tally it up. His second conclusion in verse number 18 says, For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. Here he comes to the conclusion that there is tremendous pain in men's wisdom. You've heard it said, the answer to all men's problems is more education. We just need to educate people more and we'll be able to climb out of this morass of of evil that is sometimes done one to another. If you could just educate people, then they wouldn't be ignorant and they wouldn't treat each other that way. Oh, is that so? Solomon's conclusion was, after he had learned everything that he could find to learn, that in much wisdom is much grief. The more you know, the worse you feel. Have you heard it said before, and maybe even believed it? Ignorance is bliss. Sometimes it's better just not to know. That's a good reason to get rid of Facebook right there. Ignorance really sometimes is bliss. Sometimes we'd rather not know about all the things that could kill us, all the things that could maim us, all the things that could make us sick, all the things that could ruin our lives. There's great pain in men's wisdom. You would think that knowing more would make life easier and better, but this is not the case when it comes to men's wisdom. Solomon's conclusion was almost, if you, if you read it this way in verse 18, regret. Regret that he went to find all of this stuff out. It's almost as if he wishes he had never pursued after it in the first place. Which is what happens to a lot of people who get a tremendous education in the ways of the world. They wish they never would have had to walk those streets that they never would have had to learn those lessons because we find that it can be painful in the world of man's wisdom. Now, all of this is very depressing, isn't it? It's discouraging. If I closed the message out right now and we went home, we would all say, phew, that was heavy. Thanks, Pastor, for encouraging us tonight. But remember... Solomon is speaking about the wisdom under the sun. What is perplexing to me is that Solomon had experienced the very real wisdom of God. He had been given as a special gift incredible wisdom like no one before him had ever experienced. He even wrote about it 
and we have it preserved in the pages of Scripture in the book of Proverbs. I mean, this is a guy who is given a tremendous gift by God, but he turned aside from it and went after the things of the world. He decided, maybe I would rather have the wisdom of the world. Maybe I would rather believe the things that men are telling me to believe. And what I know is that at times there will be people in the congregation, particularly young people, who will be wrestling with, you know, I've not really been able to go out there and experience the world. I've not really been able to taste the wisdom of the world. But what if the things that I'm hearing from the Bible and in church are not true? I I think maybe I want to go and try these things out for myself, which is exactly what Solomon did and wrote about and gave us a conclusion at the end of the book, which we pointed out to you last week. But now for just a moment tonight, I want to remind you that Solomon's quest for meaning under the sun and looking at the wisdom of the world is not a commentary on God's wisdom. Because God's wisdom is vastly superior to man's wisdom. And I want you to turn in your Bibles quickly to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I recently listened to the testimony of a friend of mine, his son, who grew up in church under the preaching of the Word of God. His father is a preacher of the gospel and a strong teacher of biblical truth. But when his son came to a point in his life where he could make his own decisions, he decided he'd had enough of Christianity. He'd had enough of his parents' religion. He was determined to go and taste the world for himself. So he did. He left his parents' home. He went off to do his own thing. He did everything that he was forbidden to do in all those years growing up in his parents' home. And finally, after a little while, like the prodigal son, he came to himself and he said, what am I doing here? He came back, he met with his dad, and he told his dad what had happened in his heart how he'd realized that he was wrong. He'd repented, and he'd gotten right with God. I heard him give his testimony, and he shared how God got a hold of his heart and brought him back to the place where he knew he ought to be. But unfortunately, he had some regrets because he never should have left in the first place. Now, he'll bear the pain of the decisions that he made for the rest of his life. And some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Before you disdain the wisdom of God and turn to the wisdom of the world, consider 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. 
he's using hyperbole to emphasize the fact that if God could be weak or if God could be foolish, his foolishness and his weakness would be so much better than all the best that men could muster. But of course, God is not foolish and he's not weak. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Look around the auditorium tonight. I'm not trying to insult you. But we're not sitting in a room filled with PhDs. Uh, we're not here with the, with the most intellectual of the land. We're here with common, ordinary people. And, and if we were to walk into a room with people who were highly intellectual, most of us would feel highly uncomfortable. We wouldn't know half of what they were talking about. And sometimes you say, well, the most... The most wise people, the most intelligent people are saying that God isn't real and his ways are not true. Remember, God's ways are different. Verse 27, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to naught things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. If for one moment you think that men are going to overcome the wisdom of God, you better think again. If you think for one moment, well, I could get away with sin, I'm smart enough, it won't affect me. Oh no, my friend, the way of transgressors is hard, even for you who thinks that you're so smart. Solomon bore terrible pain because of the decisions that he made. But then notice in verse number 30, But of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. If it were up to us to save ourselves... If we had to fashion our own way of salvation or forge our way through this world by being better than everyone else and somehow gain the attention of God, if it were up to us, all of us would be lost. All of us would be condemned. All of us would be guilty because indeed we are so crooked that we cannot be made straight. But... But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us. Think about what God did for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of him are ye in Christ Jesus, and Jesus is made unto us wisdom. Jesus is made righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Tonight, we have no no wherewithal to stand before the world and say, we are so much more intelligent than you are. We are so much smarter than you are. We are so much more righteous than you are. No, we have nothing like that. The only thing that we can say is, we've found Jesus, and you can find him too. You see, what Solomon found in his pursuit is that the wisdom of the world left him wanting. 
But I can assure you tonight that the wisdom of Jesus Christ will not leave you wanting. It'll not leave you lacking. You'll find that his wisdom can straighten that which is crooked. You'll find that his wisdom can make up for your lack and your want. You'll find that his wisdom does not bring grief and sorrow to your life, but instead brings incredible joy. You see in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, there is a primer for us on the disappointment of man's wisdom. If you're here tonight thinking that surely there must be a, a better way than Bible Christianity, well, you're welcome to look. You're welcome to search it out. But many before you have tried that. And the end of the story is, God's way is still the only way. And God's way is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the wisdom that we are looking for. So when you're tempted to go after the wisdom of the world, thinking maybe the world has better answers than what God has, oh, don't tell me that you've never been tempted with that thought. Or that you've never wrestled with some of the arguments that the world puts forth. But at the end of the day, let us all come to the conclusion, let God be true and every man a liar. And the truth is that one day that will be told and we'll know it for sure. But certainly, like Solomon, some will try to find it out. This evening, my challenge to you is, have you found real satisfaction in Jesus? Have you found that he's the answer that you're looking for? Are you still searching for something but left with a void, with vanity, with vexation of spirit? Jesus said, come to me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He's still offering rest tonight. He's still offering peace and satisfaction, and certainly we can find it in him. Tonight, if you're on a quest for meaning... I hope that you'll look to Jesus and then stop looking because he's the answer to everything that you've looked for. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for this, this passage. And Father, I'm troubled in my heart because I know for a fact that many people around me in this world are struggling with these very questions. Father, I know that you want to Use us to reach out to people, to be salt and light, to help them to see that there's wisdom to be found in Jesus. I pray that you would help us to be the kind of witnesses that we ought to be. I pray for our young people, some of whom are grappling with these very questions and are toying with the idea of going to the world and trying out what the world has to offer. Father, I pray that you would get a hold of their hearts and help them to see that the answer that they're looking for really is in Jesus. They need not go looking elsewhere. Thank you, Father, that you preserved this curious book in the pages of Scripture so that we could see into the inner workings of a man's heart and comprehend the turmoil and the torment that many people have in their life so that we might point them to a better way.